0: Welcome to Celebration Church. Good to have you with us uh, tonight here at our Bible study. midweek Bible study. Welcome to you guys here as well as those on our campuses over in Appleton and Stevens Point and all the people who watch us online all over the world as we uh, get into this Bible study. As we go through the scriptures one verse at a time, we're currently going through the New Testament. And uh, what we've been doing is we started in the book of Acts. And as we're going through the book of Acts, every time one of these epistles was written... We jump and we go to this epistle, which is a fancy word for letter, and then we go back to the story of Acts, and we continue uh, along the way. Where we're at so far is now we are in Paul's third missionary journey. This is his final missionary journey. At the end of this one, he goes to Jerusalem. He he did it before and went back to his base in Antioch. Well, this time he gets arrested, and he knew he was going to get arrested. It was prophesied to him, but he didn't care. And then they drag him all the way back to Rome, where he has to stand trial before Caesar. And it's there in Rome where he's eventually martyred. So we're going through these books as they are written. One of the frustrating things, easy to get around, by the way. You can go online and find out the chronological order of the Bible. But one of the frustrating things of the Bible, why they're laid out the way it is, I don't know. But it's not in order. So as if it isn't hard enough. (laughs) To understand some of that stuff. So you start reading like in Genesis, the first five books will make sense because they are in order. Uh, well, then have Joshua, right, and whatever, but then all of a sudden it just goes bling, bling all over the place, and you'll get lost, and you'll have no idea what in the world they're talking about because that's not in order, and uh, it gets very, very confusing. Uh, the New Testament is not quite as frustrating in that regard, but we're talking covering uh, thousands of years of human history here, and we're talking covering about a 100 years of history here, so it's, it's really fascinating. Our New Testament is very condensed compared to all of the Old Testament, and here it's, it's fairly straightforward. The Gospels are what kick it off. The book of Acts, that's in order. Everything else is just a big free-for-all then, but then it ends properly with the book of Revelations being the last book of the Bible. But putting it in order kind of gives insights, you start getting to figure out why he's saying what he's saying and where they're at in, in this experience. So now uh, he's been on his third missionary journey dealing with problems with Corinth. They've been a major pain in his backside. And he writes what we have with the first letter to the Corinthians, which was very strong, and the second letter, trying to be nicer but still pretty strong. And eventually now he's at Corinth. He's finally with them. He's there for three months. And while he's here, he writes this letter to the Roman church. And that's where we are. Reading the Book of Romans. Okay, so we're gonna pick it up in there. Let's open in, in prayer, and uh, and we'll get on with it. Father, we thank you for your kindness, your grace. We thank you for your word that has been preserved for us to grow from it and learn. Grant us insights. We pray by the power of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. We pray. And everybody said, "Amen." Amen. Now, uh, where we are at in the in the letter of Romans? Uh, we're halfway through chapter three again. I had to keep repeating these things, but so many people are new to the Bible. They weren't written in chapters. None of this stuff is chapter. When we say chapter and verse, it's just someone broke it up so we could find where to go. You know, what are you talking about? I'm talking about chapter three, verse whatever. Oh, okay, there you can find it. All right? Uh, and if, you know, and I know a lot of people have, you know, the magical Bible on the screens up here, but uh, let me encourage you uh, to actually bring it, especially to this, you know, on Wednesday night, get a feel for the scripture, see where things are, and kind of get a visual perspective of where things are. If you don't have a Bible, uh, get one. And if you can't afford one, uh, Pastor or uh, Lathan will uh, buy one personally for you. So, uh, <laughs> actually, we'll, we'll get one for you. Seriously, if you don't have money for mine, let us know. We will get one for you. Okay. So uh, now, in the first part of the Book of Romans, so he's writing to these Roman Christians. And in the beginning, all Christians were Jewish. Then it started to swift and change dramatically. And I think the majority now, because they're going into areas where the gospel is spreading, most of the people here are not Jewish. But yet, they always started with the Jews. So there's always a a strong contingent in all the churches of Jewish believers, even though probably not being greatly outnumbered. It will eventually get to the place where there are virtually no Jewish believers. And then, you know, however many, 300 years later, you can't hardly find any Jews since the last 2,000 years. You know, I mean, it's almost all Gentile. So, but while he's writing to them, he often will start referring to things uh, concerning Judaism and the reference to uh, the Old Testament and stuff like that. And he does that here to the Romans, because even though he's writing to, I mean, we're really talking a long way away from home here. uh, But yet there's still a lot of Jews in the area, and a lot of them had become Christians, even though the vast majority, no doubt, by this time were non-Jewish. Uh, but still, he re- references all that to him. And so he starts out in his letter, and he's trying to get us to understand sin and the nature of sin. And in Romans, the first chapter, he starts out with the two biggies that, you know, particularly from a Jewish perspective, were very horrifying. One was the idea of idolatry, and the other one was the idea of homosexuality. Uh, neither one of those would have been shocking to the pagan Christian, because they all came out of that's what everybody did anyway. But to the Jewish Christian, it was more shocking. And then, so he starts out talking about these very strong things that they would react to, but then he starts adding all the other sins into the same pot. <laughs> and when he gets done, he's basically saying, you realize you're all in the same pot. I know you think idolatry is horrible, and it is, and sexual immorality is bad, and yes, it is, but, and then he goes through this whole list of greed and gossiping and everything else. He says, the reality is, we're all in one big stinking pot called sin, and, and as a result, we are a disaster. Mankind is an unmitigated disaster uh, beyond redemption of ourselves. There's nothing any man, woman, or child could ever do to earn salvation for themselves, even if they sacrifice their lives for someone else, even if they rush into a burning building and they perish uh, letting someone else. uh, That doesn't wipe away your sins. I mean, as, as admirable as that, you know, throwing yourself on a hand grenade and saving your life's buddy is not an automatic ticket to heaven. Believe it or not, I mean, that sounds horrifying. You'd think, right? I'd say, save my life. You can go in, right? But, I mean, that's not how it works. You can't earn, there's nothing, no matter how nice, how kind, how sacrificing, no matter, and really, most of the time, we're none of those things. (laughs) On rare occasions, we have our moments, you know. But uh, most of the time, we're just a mess. You know, before you come to Jesus, it's all just a big, fat mess. How do you fix your sins? Well, everybody in the world has different ways. They chant, they pray, they cry, they moan, they groan, they meditate, they do whatever, all their various versions of of trying to earn their salvation, trying to get God to forgive them. Whereas Christianity is dramatically different in that our immediate encounter with Christ starts with us being forgiven of our sins. Wow. And now we walk from there. So it's supposed to be a dramatic... Now, a lot of Christians uh, have lost sight of that. It's more very traditional churches. Some of you come from very traditional churches where, in fact, that is their approach to God. Follow these rules and do this and do that and try to make sure you do all that and hopefully you can earn your way to... They, they've totally lost it. That's not what this is about. Uh, all of this is a, a result of faith in Christ which is what Paul really gets into when he starts talking about the Romans. But before we get back into it, because now we're going to pick up where he just starts talking about what a mess we are all in. I want to back up just a little bit uh, to chapter 1, uh, verse 23, when he's, when he's talking about, uh, I'm sorry, verse uh, 25, where he's talking about uh, this idolatry thing. And he's talking about how what happens with mankind, why they became so... Uh, far away from God they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator that is idolatry and the reason I want to back up and pick up on this and just a little bit is is to kind of give a tweak uh, in, in all of our campuses and certainly for those of you who listen online maybe this will be helpful to you although I'm not your pastor I'm just a teacher to you I'm these people's pastor so you need to listen more to me than they do all right But uh, uh, something to watch out for. You can be involved in idolatry without actually bowing down to an idol. Okay? Just bowing down to an idol. Okay, that's obviously idolatry because you're worshiping some stupid stone statue or something that's in the image of a goddess or whatever. You start worshiping things, created things, rather than the creator. Uh, Obviously, the easy... uh, analogy is you know things you can start to worship things where well, you become obsessed by things and things are more important to you than they are to God which is a warning against idolatry but there's another kind of a, a quiet insidious thing that uh pops up every once in a while in churches uh, apparently it's a little bit in ours I was a little surprised to hear about it uh I ran into a lady uh, earlier this week nice lady I don't know if she's here I can't ID everybody but uh um you know, nice lady, really nice lady, she loves God, loves this church, very committed. Anyway, talking to her about, uh, she was into this thing about, you know, connecting with the universe, and, and if you connect with the universe, you know, uh, one of the ways that you can really get what you want in life is to let the universe know what it is that you want, and by uh, setting out vibrations, the whole time I'm listening to her, I'm thinking, Beach, beach Boys, you know, Ooh, doo, doo. good vibrations. You know, so it took me a while to focus. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, and, and the idea is, is, you know, if you just put out to the universe what it is that you want. And this lady, I'm listening to this tape that she's listening to. And and this lady say, you know, this is, I, I sent out to the universe some years ago that I really wanted affordable travel. And, and ever since then, I've been putting out these vibes to the universe. And then she starts sharing her testimonies of how she's got great deals on travel and it's because she's been putting out. And I asked her, I said, do you really believe this and she goes, well yeah, I think this is wonderful I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute this is, this is very unbiblical and she says, well, well, it's just a version of God and no, 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 it's not when you're putting vibes out to the universe and focusing on the universe, you're still focusing on things that are created rather than the creator, alright uh, there's others who, uh, you know, <laughs> these things tend to be female things, I don't know why you girls love these things It's like, you know, and this is going to sound really sexist and horrible, but it's in the Bible. (laughs) Where Paul warned that women tend to, we'll get to it eventually in one of his epistles, that they seem to be more inclined to deception than men. Something about they like these things. I don't know what it is that some sets off a little bell in them. They go, oh, oh. You know, I don't know if it's the fancy words because women like words, you know, la, 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 and they get pulled in all the, I don't know what it is. I don't know. I, I, I'm sure somebody smarter than me can figure it out. All I'm saying is it seems to be a reality. They get pulled into these things. Men generally do not. And you girls need to be careful that your little ladies' groups and Girl Bible studies and stuff don't start getting you into some weird new agey, you know, twilight zone stuff. And she, she said, well, this lady's a Christian. I said, well, I, she might claim to be a Christian. Look, just, you know, just because you take poison and add sugar to it, it doesn't fix anything. All right? We don't vibrate to the universe. Okay? And another, you know, another thing is, you know, sitting on the ground uh, and pulling up the energy from the earth. Let's all hold hands and and pull energy up from the earth, which really sounds creepy to me, but I don't know what they're doing. But again, they're focusing on created things rather than the creator. Are you understanding me? I said, well, it's just another form of prayer. No, 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 it's not. It is a form of idolatry. When it comes to prayer, Jesus was very specific. In fact, even just praying to God in a general sense wasn't correct enough. Jesus said, you need to ask God in my name because Jesus is the connection between God and man. All right? Whenever you pray, pray in my name. That's why you, and again, a lot of people, are, I don't know how long this lady's, you know, what her experience is. I don't know if some of you are into this stuff. You know, people are in different areas of faith and, and I understand it. I'm not yelling at anybody. I, I don't feel like I'm yelling but I'm just trying to correct you, you know, stay away from that stuff, okay? Well, as long as it's some kind of prayer. No, 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 Prayer was very, very specific. That's why when you hear us pray, you'll almost always hear us pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Because Jesus taught us you need to pray in my name, is specifically how this is done. Uh, so much less even praying to God in general isn't really biblical enough, and certainly not to the universe and vibrating to it, which I have no idea what that even means. Or pulling energy from the earth, or having a Bible study group out in the middle of the bunch of trees and communing with Mother Nature and hum, whatever it is you're doing, I don't stop. <laughs> All right, don't be caught up in idolatry. Our focus is not the earth. You know, our focus is not the universe. We do not vibrate. I don't think we do. <laughs> All right? We need to be doing things properly according to God's word. I promise you, this stuff will lead you to a very bad place. You say, well, it's harmless. No, 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 it's never harmless. It always tends to end badly. It's been some years since we've brought it up. Every once in a while, it comes around. It's kind of like a rash. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, it's every so often in Christianity, certainly for the last, I don't know, what, the last 30, 40 years, this new age thing creeps into the church again. Uh, I was in the uh, group with the pastors, our, our, our presbytery meeting, and I mentioned uh, this concern about this. And some they said, oh, no, that's that's fairly common. A lot of women are into that. I'm like, what? <laughs> Hence me speaking tonight, okay? I might even bring it up on a Sunday morning. But just you know, don't, don't get into that stuff. There's no need to get into that stuff. We have away to God. His name is Jesus. You need to talk to him. You need to communicate with him. If you, in fact, he says, if you will ask in my name, my heavenly father will do anything possible for you, okay? And that's the reality of it, okay? Now, again, some of these things sound great and warm and fuzzy, and I get it, and they might be real real great and fuzzy, but but remember, Paul warns us, you know, uh, false teachers would come into the church as sheep in wolf's clothing. No, wolves in sheep's clothing. (laughs) Sheep going around. No, no, it's the wolf on the and then when you're not eating, it will looking it will eat you. Okay, so look out for wolves. The wolves in sheep's clothing. I can't get my wolf sheep thing straight. Okay, some of this can happen. Now again, anybody who's into this, and apparently there's quite a few. I do not look down on you. I don't have any negative. Seriously, I don't. I'm just warning you. This is not a good place for you. You want to focus in on Jesus. You want the keys to a success, successful life? Right here. All right? You don't need it from some guru, you don't need it from some great teacher anywhere, you don't need it for, you, know, you don't even need me for that matter. Push come to shove, you got it right here. Okay? This is where our these are the keys. You want the keys to a successful life. Which is what motivates these people. They're trying to find that. And so their hearts are good. But you got to be careful you don't get off into the woo the the weeds and, and again when I heard that there was several people doing this. I would have never brought it up for just the one, wherever she is. But, uh, uh, but when I hear her, that's, that's when I got to speak up. Not a rebuke, not nastiness, just watch out for that stuff. Don't, don't get caught up in these things. All right, having said all that, let's back, jump over to chapter 3, verse 21. Now, he's basically putting everybody into this pot of sin and how we're all messed up, and then he's got to talk to the Jewish believers and say, you're in the same pot. Because here was the thing with the Jewish guys. They, because they were God's chosen people, they thought because they adhered to the law of Moses, and, you know, the Ten Commandments are the beginning of the law of Moses. That's just ten. But it wasn't just ten. There's like a gazillion of these things. And some of the strangest, bizarrest, weirdest rules that you can imagine. It was very strict. They could tell you when you could work, when you couldn't work, you know. Uh, what you could eat, what you couldn't eat, when to wash, when you shouldn't wash, when you could have sex with your spouse, when you couldn't. I mean, they had rules about everything. Uh, you, you couldn't cook a, cook a goat in its own mother's milk. But I don't know why that rule. What is that? Very restrictive. So all you goat cookers out there, you know, just, you can't use them. You know. And, and the one we always talk about from time to time, the funniest one. There's a rule in the Old Testament law, law of Moses, that if two men are fighting and one woman jumps in to help her husband and grabs the other guy by his balls, this is the Bible. It's, it says stones, but you understand. You know, The, the rule is supposed to cut off her hand. Whoa. Now, first of all, there's that many people grabbing guy's stuff that you got to have a rule about that? I would think that would happen like one time. <laughs> she did what? You know, apparently we needed a law about this bag grabbing thing. <laughs> so they had rules about everything. And I mean, this, you know, anybody, and, and usually Christians from time to time talk about something that comes around like a rash every once in a while. Judaism, a form of Judaism tends to pop up in the church every so many years. Although we've been on a pretty good run for a while, I haven't heard about it. Where people will be drawn to the Old Testament and they want to follow some of these rules from the Old Testament. Because they're very, you know, they su- just pick the ones they like and whatnot. Uh, but uh, don't go back there. Don't, I mean, you can learn so much from the New Test- Old Testament. Nobody's really slamming the Old Testament. But when I say we don't live by the Old Testament, we don't live by those rules. Those rules are not what uh, drives us. Uh, reading the Old Testament is good. In fact, I'm thinking about starting a series entitled uh, The Greatest Stories from the Bible because I'm shocked how many people don't know them. And uh, we were with our T1 group the other day, our you know transition gap year program, and I'm using some of these biblical stories and stuff like that, because you have to understand, from a pastor's standpoint, one of the ways that you understand the word, the Bible says you should rightly divide the word of truth. The way that we get to our perspectives is to understand the entire scriptures. And according to, the, this is what happened to that story, this is what happened to that, and then you come to these conclusions. But then I'm sharing with these 18, 19, 20-year-old young people who I don't know if they were raised in the church or not. I don't know what the story is. Uh, But uh, as I'm going through, they didn't know any of the stories. And I I was kind of disturbed, to say the least. Uh, So uh, I talked to my guys. I want to do this series because if the kids don't know it, because a lot of you guys came to faith later, I'm sure you don't know them. But they're great stories. And we're not going to read the whole Old Testament, just all the Very foundational things that get us to where we are today. That's why we even have this still. Uh, So that'll be great. So I'll do that on Sunday mornings because everybody needs to hear this. But then instructing my uh, youth department, not just for the little ones, but also for the teenagers. They should be going over these stories every year. Work this into your curriculum so that every year you rehearse these with these kids. So by the time they leave and I say, I refer about Jephthah who tried to sacrifice his daughter trying to please God. They'll all know exactly what I'm talking about. They had no idea, and many of you have no idea what I'm talking about. And I say, we don't put fleeces before the Lord. They know what, I'm, what I was talking about, and most of you right now don't have any idea what I'm talking about. And, so I, and these are important things to know. And so, so we're going to go through these stories, but we want these kids to be biblically literate. We are. We've heard it said many times. It's not until I'm face-to-face with it that I'm so shocked by it. But the level of biblical illiteracy is stunning. Now, in all fairness, my wife said, man, ask them about much of anything they're not gonna know. <laughs> ask ask them who the vice president is. <laughs> they probably won't know. I mean, it's sad. We got you know, I don't know what they're teaching them in school. We're not gonna start beating on schools. I don't know. What the heck? They don't seem to know Jack. They know how to recycle. Right? They're in the, you know, the, uh, talk about, you know, new agey nonsense. You know, this is, this is our penance to the universe type nonsense. But, you know, history, they don't know jack about history. They don't know jack about much anything. So uh, anyway, I can't fix that. What I can fix is them knowing the Bible. And we want your children to be very biblically literate on the foundational truths of the scriptures, both Old and New Testament. And I'm going to teach it to you. And we're going to start drilling it into their little heads of mush. All right. All of that to refer to these Jewish Christians. And he'd always have to deal with them separately because they were convinced, because they knew the law. And they were connected to the law that they, you know, this stuff didn't apply to them. And he said, yes, it applies to you. You're all sinners. No, but I follow the law. He said, the law don't mean jack. All the law is showing you how miserable you are and how you need Because nobody can follow the law. Nobody could do it right. So as we go through this, he's going to keep hammering this over and over again. And you'll hear him say, but now to you Jews, because he's talking to two groups of Christian people and trying to explain it. All right. So he just gets done saying, we're all a bunch of miserable, lousy sinners. Let's pick it up in verse 21, chapter 3. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. Okay. Now what he's talking about here is we know because they would think that it was through following the rules of the law that you would earn your righteousness if I didn't covet, if I didn't steal, if I didn't, you know, cook a goat in its own mother's milk, if I wasn't grabbing bags that don't belong to me, whatever the rules are, that, that I have now earned my righteousness badge. And this is how, and he's saying, no, 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 that's not where righteousness comes from. Righteousness comes apart separate from the law. And he starts now to make his argument to them. So, see, sometimes reading these arguments to us is like, Blah, 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 blah. What are you talking about? Because we don't think in these terms. I don't think anybody here, or anybody even listening to me right now, is thinking, I'm going to try to earn my way to God by following the law of Moses. So in a way, but I don't want to just skip over it. It's in the Bible. We should read so at least have an understanding of why it's there. Uh, but, so that's what he starts talking about. So he says, the law and the prophets actually prophesied that there would be a time and point out that the righteousness doesn't come through the law itself, but through faith. And that's what he's saying. Now, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. He's trying to put that out. And then this verse 23 is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Every Christian should know this verse. You should be able to quote it verbatim, but at least know the truth of this one verse. And it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is fundamental to Christian doctrine. And I don't care what Christian version of it, uh, virtually every denomination, Catholic, Protestant, Baptist, Pentecostal, everybody, everybody understands. This is the fundamental position of mankind. We are lost. We have all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. It is because of the state that we need a savior, okay? Jesus Christ being that Savior. Why is he that Savior? He's saying, why did Jesus come to give us? Because we've all messed up, as he just finished putting us all in the big pot of crummy sins. All right? We're all in the pot. We've all sinned. And therefore, uh, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. It was his, Jesus said, You know, uh, the shedding of my blood for the remission of sins. This is what happens. He becomes the ultimate sacrifice. Up until this point, uh, they would sacrifice lambs and bulls and whatever, you know, uh, looking forward to the time when God would send the ultimate sacrifice. Well, Jesus, he's pointing it out, is that ultimate sacrifice. That's why we don't do that anymore. All right? He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. What does that mean? Well, this is it's hard for people to understand, but it's so key to understand the concept of salvation. When we say we've all sinned, it's not, okay, we've all sinned, no big deal. No, we've all sinned, and because of that, we earn the penalty of sin, which is death. Not just physical death, which we will all face. Nobody escapes that. But eternal death, which is separation from God for throughout eternity in a very, very bad place. All right? So what's that place like? I don't know. I don't want to go. That's all I know. It could be just watching the Bears play every Sunday. I don't know. But I don't, I don't, want, I don't want to know. <laughs> Take a shot at the Bears hands. Uh, <laughs> I was hanging on some Bears fans last night. I said, "Listen, if Trump wins, he's going to build a wall around Illinois to keep you people out." But anyway, uh, uh, they didn't laugh. I don't know what the no sense of humor. People have no sense of humor anymore. What is the matter with people? So anyway, uh, so when he says these these sins need to be punished, they don't go unpunished. God is not like a parent who just uh, blows it off. Okay. I'm giving the count of three. One, two, two and a half, two and three quarters, you're pushing me. You know, your kid's just waiting because he knows you're not going to do jack when you hit three anyway, right? Well, God ain't that way. One, two, three. He's not messing around. And now because of sin, the sin must be punished. You say, why is that? I don't. I think we get him some big theological reason. I don't. All I know is that otherwise God isn't God. And sin isn't sin. We have no idea. The holiness of God and how offensive it is when we lie and we steal and we cheat and we hurt people. You have no idea what a stink that leaves on us. I mean, it's just like God can hardly breathe. I mean, it separates from God, and those sins must be punished. Now, up until this time, the punishments were put temporarily on the lambs and the bulls and whatever were getting slaughtered uh, in sacrifices. They were taking the minimum, but these sins still had not gone unpunished. I mean, they hadn't gone punished. They were unpunished at this point because Jesus hadn't come. So uh, in his forbearance, he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished, and he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be uh, just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So the the central event in uh, the history of the human race, and quite frankly, probably the the, the history of the universe, Is this central event where God comes in flesh and he gives himself up as a sacrifice for his creation Uh, everything before that looked forward to the cross although they didn't quite understand it we now look backward to the cross it is always about the cross the cross is central the sacrifice of Christ the birth uh, (laughs) death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central experience for the christian we look back and we celebrate it constantly every sunday we get together we celebrate every time we take communion we're celebrating he says do this in remembrance of me don't forget what this is about this is what this is about so is that sacrifice he's saying uh, that uh, covered their sins before when they were just living by the law of moses and it covers the, the sins since all right so so where then is boasting in other words, you know, say, well, I'm so holy, I'm so righteous, I'm such a good person, you know. Where's the boss? Well, it's excluded. Nobody can do that. He says, what, because of the law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. He's trying to get them away from this idea that you can't work your way to this. Uh, now, this is uh, one of the fundamental problems that happened uh, in the big split Uh, between Catholicism and Protestantism uh, with the Reformation, with uh, Martin Luther, okay? And uh, (laughs) again, it feels another history. I remember once I was posting something about Martin Luther on my uh, website, or my Facebook, because I'm always causing trouble, okay? So on, on my Facebook about Martin Luther, and Martin Luther had quite the acidic tongue. Uh, as a holy, as a figure, as we look at him in history, he's actually hilarious. I mean, he said insulting things to people all the time. That you would just roar. It's, he it was brutal to people. <laughs> it's so funny to read. So I'm, I'm quoting these quotes. Say, look, look at the way he used to talk to people, because you think I get edgy. Man, Luther was brutal to people. Ah, you know, he'd call people, you know, toads and frogs and, you know, and idiots and morons. And I mean, he just he went on and on and on. And I remember all these people saying, that's a terrible thing to say about the founder of the Civil Rights Movement. <laughs> Not Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther! the Reformation, and you could tell by some of the comments, they had no idea what it's talking about. They'd still say, yeah, but he he went, no! It was what, the 1500s or whatever when this happened? It's, it's a long time ago. The one who started the Lutheran church, uh, and they just got quiet I still don't think they knew what it's was talking about. <laughs> All right. So this was the big fight because what Catholicism represented, particularly in Luther's day, and quite frankly, even to this day, one of the defensive and argument things that the Protestants, which is everybody except a Catholic, uh, fights with the Catholic Church, as oftentimes the Catholic Church uh, gives the idea that you work your way to God through penance and this, that, and the other. And you know if you do all this, you can earn your way. And of course, Luther said, no, it's absurd. It's not. Now, many modern-day Catholics would say that's not what they're trying to say. And they have, fought, they have gotten so far away from that original premise now They've really come a long way. It really is. They're not like what was in Luther. In Luther's day, they would actually go and try and sell you pieces of salvation. They were called indulgences. And if you would, uh, b- worried about your sins, if you paid enough money, well, well, that, you paying that money because you worked so hard for the money was a way of you working off your sins. And therefore, and that's how they raised so much money for the Vatican and all these other stuff. I'm not trying to slay, sl- slam Catholics, but that's what they did. It's just a historical fact. Okay? Actually, if you've ever been, have you ever been to the Vatican? Have you ever been to Italy? Yeah, it's impressive. It's really, really impressive. I mean, it's like, holy cow. And it is gorgeous. Gorgeous! <laughs> I, was, uh, I was in the Vatican. Do you remember, Joe, we were there, and it was like, every so they had this special holy year. And uh, so they had this big to-do, I think it was Christmas Eve. And we went out to it, And I'm like 19 years old. It's a punk. And I had a friend with me. And we got there. And they got all these spotlights on the Vatican. And it is glowing like the incandescent glory of God. And I mean thousands of people in the square. Thousands. And then they have these barricades and the guards and stuff. Because the church is packed out with thousands of people. So we come. We're at the back. And I said, man, I wish we could get inside. And said, let's see if we can. So we began to just go, excuse me, excuse me, excuse, excusa, excusa, por favor, excusa, excusa. And people were real nice. They kept letting us go in. And we just kept going like this. All the way through that, oh, thousands of people. And finally, we got up to the, to the barricade. And, uh, and the guards would come like this. And they'd go way out to the sides. They'd come like, I said, okay, now it's time. When he got way out to the side, we jumped the barricade and ran in. <laughs> You couldn't do that today because they'd probably shoot you, right? Because you're a terrorist or something. Who knows? Whatever. Anyway, so we finally get in there, and now it's really packed. But we kept going, scusa. <laughs> scusa, scusa. People are real nice. They keep letting you go. Finally, we got to the point we couldn't move further. I mean, it was so jam-packed with human beings. They could barely breathe. And we're standing against the scaffolding where it had all the lights and stuff like that going all the way down the bed. I don't know why I'm telling you the story, but it's a funny story. So anyway, we're going... <laughs> going all the way down, and we noticed that the scaffolding, it, oh, is it just covered with cloth. So I said, hey, hey, come here. So we picked up the car, and said, let's crawl in there. So we crawled in, and we're, we're working our way down. <laughs> and we're now we're really doing good time, because there's nothing in front of us. <laughs> and, we're gonna, and we're going, and we're going. And everyone's, I stop, and there's people feet, and then, and then pretty soon, there's the choir robes. <laughs> oh, man, we're getting close. And we just go, <laughs> And finally, we get to the end, you know. So we got out between the scaffolding and the wall because you, know, you can get so i got out and we're looking and and i turned the corner and i'm t- right there was the boat. right there Not could have went out and go hi and the, you know <laughs> <laughs> today they would shoot you i promise you they would shoot you but not back then and i thought oh my god so and i said that's that boat you really yeah, yeah it's right there and i turn around one of the guards Turned his head at the same time because he heard us whispering. And, and our heads met. And I went, ah! He goes, what are you doing here? And we went, ah! We jumped back onto the thing and rode as fast as we can to get out of there. And, uh, and we got away. So I don't know why I shared that story with you except that I've been to the Vatican and it's a very nice place. So. <laughs> but, <laughs> but a lot of that, I just, that's, that's five minutes you'll never get back in your life again. I no, was just <laughs> totally wasted, totally wasted. Uh. So, uh, but that was one of the big fights in the Reformation, is this fight between faith and works. We don't work our way to God. uh, We have to have faith. And again, back then, it was very extreme. In defense of Catholics, I think many Catholics today would say, that's not the way it is anymore. And by doing these things, you're doing it as an act of faith, which there's an argument for that, which we'll explain a little bit. But anyway, so, but this is where we start getting a lot of that talk coming out. Uh, where Paul starts really talking about the difference between works and faith. We don't work our way to God. You can't do it by your works. There's nothing you can do. You can't penance your way out of this. The only way you can deal, it, deal with it is through faith in Jesus Christ. So it goes on, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. We maintain that. He said, this is." we're insisting on this. It's not by, again, he's talking to the Jewish Christians or anybody who's inclined to think, well, if we just follow these rules, that's what's gonna do it for us. No, no, no. Righteousness happens apart from that. He says, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Because we didn't have the law. Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there's only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith, meaning Jews, and the uncircumcised through that same faith, meaning non-Jews. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. And and that's really the argument in Christianity. Jesus says, I didn't come to get rid of the law. I came to fulfill the law. So it's fulfilled. So, but we don't live by it anymore, but it's been fulfilled in Jesus. And by walking righteously in faith and experiencing God the way that we, we actually fulfill the requirement of the law, which is to do good and to not hate and to not steal and to not lust and all these terrible things that, that do so much damage in people's lives. If we walk as believers in this faith and in the spirit, it fulfills the obligations of the old written law. So then he goes on, chapter 4, remembering it, there was no chapter. He just keeps talking. He says, no, why shall we say then that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? Now, this is, it's really key that he brings up Abraham here. And he, and he did it before when we were in the book of Galatians, when they were arguing, having this big d- debate. Because they would say their father of the faith is Abraham. They consider themselves sons of Abraham. In fact, they gave Jesus a hard time said, why, why are you telling us we are sinners? We're not sinners, we're children of Abraham. And, you know, and that's when Jesus said, "Hey, God could make these stones into children of Abraham, you know, that you're nothing unique in that sense, which was rather insulting to them because they thought that they were. Very, very unique. So he goes back to Abraham. And the reason he goes to Abraham is because what he starts to point out, which I think sometimes they would forget, is Abraham was the father of faith And he was justified by faith because he lived hundreds of years before there was the law. Remember, the law doesn't show up until Moses shows up. It's called the law of Moses. That's when he gets the Ten Commandments. So everybody up to this point, it's a long period of time in the early part of the Bible, they don't have any of that. There's not much instruction about much of anything. They had they're conscious. They understood fundamentally not to do evil or to hurt others or to steal or whatever. You know, They kind of had a general sense, but they didn't understand God much at all. They certainly did have the law. So the Jews were very, very strong that they are children of Abraham. Abraham's the one who starts all this, and then he keeps pointing out Abraham because Abraham was there hundreds of years. What was it, 400 years? I don't know what the math is on that. Before Moses even shows up. So if Abraham is justified without the law by faith, so are we, is his argument. And, of course, that would kind of mess with their heads, but that's what he did in Galatians, and now he's doing it here. He says, if, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, uh, he had something to boast about. Well, I did it myself, but not before God. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, here's where we get a very interesting Situation, all right. Go to James. Where's Where's James? Of course, nothing's in order. That's right after Hebrews. Find Hebrews and take a right. There it is. Okay. So. Help me out, Joe. What am I looking for? Chapter 2. I'm there, but where's my... Where's he talking about Abraham? You're right. 23. Okay. Well, will start at 20. He says, you foolish person. Do, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? So what he's... James is arguing that you need to have works. And I say, no, I don't have works. I, I just have faith. Which is really the argument that Paul is making. But now James makes the argument on the other side. All right? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Which is exactly the opposite of what Paul just said. Paul said Abraham was justified because he believed God, not because of what he did. But as you keep reading James, he clears it up. He says, the point is, it is about faith, but the way you can prove your faith is because of what you do. If you have faith... You will do something. In other words, what he's trying to point out is people who uh, say, you know, we get a lot of that today. You know, you believe in Jesus? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Praise God. You ever do anything about it? No, that's all right. I just believe. It's all that matters. You ever go to church? Yeah, I do. You know, two, three times a year, whether I need it or not. You know, I, just, I just go. I mean, they don't, do you give any money? Well, no, not really. I, I don't believe in giving money. I believe in taking money, but I don't believe in giving it. Do you volunteer your time? Well, I'm a real busy person. You know, I got, you know, TV shows and stuff I got to watch, you know. And just, so I got a whole list. You know, my, my kids are in soccer all day long, every day of their lives, you know, whatever. <laughs> so they, they got all these reasons why they can't do anything because, you know, well, now, that's when James would be taking. you say you got faith, you ain't got Jack. If you don't do something, it proves you don't really have faith because real faith will is evidenced by works, which is really, I think James and Paul would be having a little bit of a discussion here, even though as James clears it up, they're saying the same thing. Now, this is one of those classic times where we say, well, the Bible is contradictory, Uh, but it's not really contradictory. It's it's like describing a quarter. One side of a quarter, you see the tail or whatever, and the others, you're going to see the head, and someone will describe what a quarter looks like, and it sounds totally different. But it is, in fact, the same quarter. Or it's like if you, you, know, you got two blind people trying to describe an elephant. On, on one end, it's a very short tail. On the other end, this guy's got the biggest tail I've ever seen. You know what I'm saying? This is massive. You look at this thing. But it's still just the one elephant. Does that help? I don't know if that helps at all. <laughs> What's he talking about? I don't know. I'm out of control. Okay. So, so back to, to Paul's argument. Oh, by the way. Speaking of Martin Luther, Martin Luther absolutely rejected the epistle of James. He thought it was heresy. He thought James should never be in the Bible. They should rip it out. In fact, hardcore Lutherans will still to this day say James is an aberration. It should not be in the Bible because of that. Where I just said James says it's important to do works. When the whole thing between Lutherans and Catholics, the big thing is you don't live by works, you live by faith. James comes along and says, well, you also have to have works, and then so they don't like it. And, but I think, you know, they were having uh, just a visceral reaction because of the big fight they were having at the time. Everybody has their hot button issues. Yeah. Anybody vote? <laughs> you know, every, everybody's got their button. Man, you push the your buttons and people go crazy. Uh, and uh, so the same was true even back then. And because they were having such a big fight in the church, and the Catholics were, were very quick to quote James, saying, well, hey, you got to have works. Uh, so they dismissed James. That's not there. But the reality is James, if you keep reading it, actually balances it out. What he says, if, if you say that you uh, have faith but don't do anything, I'll prove to you that I have faith because I do the right things. Which is really a true statement. So I, I agree they're, they're not, I don't think they're contradictory at all. At face value, you're describing the different sides of the same coin. But, uh, but even still, even though... It says here that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. But how do we know that he believed God? Because he did it. Which brings out James' point. Do you see the difference here? So they're really not contradictory at all. But the point is, is that what... Uh, uh, Paul's trying to point out is that it's Abraham's act of belief that caused righteousness. But again, James would be very clear to point out to Paul, how do you know he believed? Because he followed through and he did what God told him to do. If he didn't, he would have had no faith. All right. Okay, so, and and even more importantly, even though that's a fine minute little detail, the reality is there is no law of Moses. That's really the strong point here. He's not being justified by following the Ten Commandments and everything else because there are no such things at this point. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift but as an obligation. Okay, so if you work for me and you do $1,000 worth of work and then I pay you $1,000, you don't go, Wow, man, thanks. I wasn't expecting that. You go, Well, thanks, because I am expecting that. <laughs> you know, you expect a paycheck at the end of the month or a week, or whatever you get paid, right? Those aren't gifts. You earn those, all right? So, however, to the one who does not work uh, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. He's trying to point out the fact that the righteousness that we get is not earned. It is a gift, Uh, all right? So, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God Credits righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes from the Old Testament. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. And uh, and he's trying to point out that this is all a matter of, of a gift of God. It's not something that you earn. Is this blessedness only for circumcised, talking about Jewish people, or for also the uncircumcised? We've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? Now, this is a big deal because these people are obsessed with the circumcision thing. You all know what that is, right? (laughs) Snipping off the end of your wee-wee. All right, that's what it is. That's what's Because that was God's covenant. That was what God told Abraham. You will now be my people and the sign you will have is you got to cut off the end of your God sure knew how to get a guy's attention, I'll tell you that. Can you imagine Abraham trying to sell this back to the guys at the camp? Hey guys, God is calling us his people. Yeah, all right. He's given us a special sign nobody else will have. Yeah, fabulous. What is it, a tattoo? No, no. No, no. some kind of haircut or something. There's cutting involved, but it's not. You know, can you imagine? This is what God wants us to do. Excuse me. He wants us to what? And uh, and so they do that. Uh, To this day, there are two groups of people, major religious groups, that are identified by circumcision. Circumcision. The first one, obviously, is the jewish people do you know who the other one is Muslim. yeah i knew you knew the answer muslims same thing they also, do you know why because they follow their faith back to abraham yeah so both jews and arabs who are trying to kill each other all the time are basically cousins okay and uh, the one was through the, 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 the child of the promise. The other one was through Hagar and Ishmael. And, and to this day, they're still at each other's throats. It's quite fascinating. But uh, one of the important things for both of them uh, is they are all circumcised. And neither one of them eats pork. Same thing. Isn't it interesting? They have that connection. Beyond that, they want to kill each other. So particularly the Arabs to so the Jews. Uh, Okay, where am I? Um, So, anyway, circumcision is like a major deal. This is the... Boy, if you're not circumcised... And remember, in the early church, they wanted to make sure that all Christians who got saved were circumcised. And they didn't believe you could be a Christian if you didn't get circumcised. So if you became a Christian in the early church, the first thing they do is... Okay. But they finally settled, no, you don't have to do this anymore. Thank the Lord. It's hard enough to get guys to come to church. All right? So, that was settled. We don't have to do that anymore. So, that's why he's talking about the circumcised and the uncircumcised. They live together, the Jews and the Gentiles. Paul says they're the same. Why is he talking about it? Because you have those two groups of people now all working together in these churches, believers in Jesus Christ, some Jews, some non-Jews. But they were, like, really obsessed by this thing, circumcision. And most of the time in the New Testament, rather than they say the word Jew, they will actually just say circumcision or the circumcised or the uncircumcised. That That was the big deal. So he said, now what circumstance was Abraham credited righteousness? Was it after he was circumcised or before? Boy, key point here, right? Because they're thinking it's got to be through that covenant of the flesh. But he points out it happened not after, but before, which really sets it on. I mean, so he's really using strong uh, Jewish argument for that group of people. I'm sure all the non-Jews are don't even know what he's talking about, but uh, for them, he's pointing out, look, Abraham, who you consider your father, and, all, and he was a Jew himself, he knew all this. He's the big guy. Number one, there's no law, uh, which he pointed out when he wrote the Galatians letter. And here he's pointing out, he, he was justified because of, he obeyed God, he was credited to him as righteousness, and all that happened before God gave him the covenant of circumcision. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. So what he's saying is faith came first and then the circumcision. That was a sign, an outward sign of what had really happened inwardly. Which in a way, you know, the closest thing we have that is baptism for us. Baptism to a great degree is an outward sign of what God has done inwardly in us, you know. It's a lot less painful. So then he's the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that the righteousness might be credited to him, which is messing with their heads now. So because what he's saying, the Jews and the Muslims would both say, "Well, Abraham is our father. We have this, this special credit in righteousness because of that connection. And he's saying, no, because he had faith before he was circumcised. He is also the father of all who have faith and all who believe. So according to Paul's definition, We're all children of Abraham. Now, you don't have to be born a Jew to claim this. This is good news to the non-Jewish Christians. You know, they're going, cool, you know. We're all in this because it's all by faith. So he is then also the father of the circumcised who are not only are circumcised, but also who follow the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise, because the law didn't come out later, that he would be heir of the world, but the righteousness that comes through faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath, uh, which is a lot of judgment for the law if he broke the laws. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Uh, and We'll get more into that in, in chapter 7. Uh, come back to that. but uh, Therefore... The promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. So he's really, this kind of, this is nothing to us today, because we all understand this, but to them at this time, this is like really radical. And he's probably, you know, getting some of the Jews, getting a little, on their back haunches here because they're probably not liking this so much but it's certainly is being a great credit to the non-Jews because he's saying uh, it's, we're all part of this thing by faith it's all about faith we are all doomed there's none righteous no not one everybody's sin we're all in the sin bucket so we need to be saved and we're all saved by faith not because of the law or any other thing. That's really all of this. All of this la-la-la-la-la-la that la, 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 he's talking here boils down to two very simple concepts. One, we are all sinners. Two, we are saved by grace. That's really what all this is about. And this is the fundamental uh, position of the Christian faith. As it is written, I've made you a father of many nations. Talking about Abraham. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things in. Uh, calls into being things that were not, which uh, is an interesting faith concept. God calls things into being that don't exist at all, uh, which is nothing's impossible to him. You know, he said, let there be light, and there was light. Well, there was no light before. Well, how could he call it? Well, because he can, all right? And this is true in anybody's situation in life. Uh, from a position of faith, Sometimes we look at the natural and we say, well, it's impossible. What I'm facing right now is impossible. Well, if there was just at least some circumstances coming in my favor, Pastor, if there were just something, but but there's nothing. I got nothing. Everything's wrong, everything. Therefore, God can't answer my prayer. I want you to understand, it doesn't matter to God either way. Even if there's nothing there, he calls into being things that are not. And he can make things. You say, well, it's, everything's over in my life. You know, it's dead. Okay, God raises the dead. I mean, he's not hindered by anything. He's God. Very powerful. And he talks about this power of faith. We'll end with this in two minutes here. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, so that, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. So God makes this promise, you're going to be the father of the great multitude. Well, there's a problem. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. 100-year-old guys usually don't become fathers. I'm not sure the plumbing was even working at this point. I don't know. They didn't have the blue pill. Nothing's happened, brother. All right? And Sarah's womb was dead also. So, I mean, it's, it's bad. It's looking bad. God says you're going to have a child by Sarah. And uh, at one point... They're getting older and older, and nothing's happening, and Sarah can't have a baby, and, you know. So she tries to help out God, right? And so, well, maybe what it means is you should have sex with my, my servant girl, and, and, uh, and she'll give you. So by, through Sarah, my servant girl, have sex with her, and she'll give you a baby. And like most men, Abraham went, okay. So... Uh, you know, you got permission from the wife, right? I mean, what's wrong with this? So, so he fellowships with the lady and gives birth to Ishmael, who becomes the father of the Arab nations that to this day are persecuting the Jews. Wow, all these things have consequences. Isn't it fascinating? So, but anyway, God comes and says, no, 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 you big dummy. It's not with her. It's with Sarah. Okay. Okay. Sorry about that. You know. so, so now he's waiting. Well, God just keeps dragging his feet. Why he does this, I don't know. I've talked about this so many times. It's like, Pastor, I need a miracle. I know, but is there any hope? A little bit. Well, hang in there. He'll probably wait for that to go first. I mean, he just he, God's timing, from my perspective, is terrible. This is horrible. You know, it's like at the last second when God shows up and turns things around. I don't know why, but it is what it is. So Abraham's waiting. And well, now the guy's like a hundred years old. And he looks more like a prune than anything else. And his wife's all shriveled up. And it's like, and God says, No, it's going to come through Sarah. Now, I got to tell you, that would mess with my head. I would think, you know, at least earlier on there was a shot, right? God had something to work with. But what he's trying to say is God doesn't need anything to work with. Somebody say amen. Amen. He calls things into being that are not. So, pastor, there's no hope for me. Good. You're in the perfect place for a miracle. What are things going against me? Great. Things are lighting up. I'm serious. What didn't happen earlier? You know, there was a shot. I was a little, you know, got a little. Little zip in my step still, you know. She's still, you know, kind of cute. Well, now he's a hundred and she's—I don't know where she's at. They're all 90s, yeah. Dang. And uh, so you would think ain't gonna happen, but he never lost faith. By this time, he'd learned, and uh, he said, "It's gonna happen." And uh, I'm sure everybody working for Abraham thinks, man, this dude has lost it. I don't know what he's thinking. But he kept hanging in and hanging in there. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised, which is the point. You look at the promises of God, I don't know what's gonna happen. How's it gonna happen? People often say, oh, Well, Pastor, how would it happen? I don't know. That's kind of the point. But he has the power to do what he promised and he can call things into being that don't even exist in your situation. It doesn't matter if anything's going for you. All the better. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness because he believed God in spite of all of that. He doesn't tell us the rest of the story, but they all know the rest of the story. All of a sudden, she gets pregnant. (laughs) Now, I don't know what it's like to look at a 90-year-old, Pregnant lady, walking around, it must pregnant. it. But it's like, dad had to be a track stopper right there. You know what I'm saying? Like, whoa. And she gives birth to this child who goes on to become the, uh, the Jewish nation. All fascinating. So anyway, they know all this. The point that he's trying to say that uh, he believed God no matter what it looked like. Uh, so the words here, credit to him, were not written for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us, who believe in him, who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So he's just getting on a roll now. He's about to take us and really start nailing down this idea of how we get saved. He's spent the whole time telling us, you're doomed, you're doomed, you're doomed, you bunch of sinners. And then the law can't help you, you're still doomed. And now he says, Jesus changes all of that. And then we'll pick up chapter five next week and continue this, and he starts talking about this incredible thing that happens by faith through Jesus Christ. The end. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your truth. Help us to understand it. Help us to grow from it. Help us to love us. I mean, help us to love each other. And thank you that you love us. And help us to walk in your love. And help us to understand the power of your word and the truth of your word. Lord, we celebrate the fact that you love us, that we uh, don't have to try and even work our way to you uh, because this comes by faith. As a result of that faith, we should do good things, but we don't earn that. All of this comes by your grace because of that sacrifice that was done on the cross. And for anybody who's looking at really bad circumstances right now, Lord, I pray for them, that they would be encouraged to realize that God can breathe life into what seems completely dead. It's what you did for Abraham and Sarah, and it's what you've done throughout the centuries and have done so for many of us. Even when it seems like it was totally hopeless, uh, you always show up. But Lord, no matter what our circumstance, we stand in faith because we always win. Even in death, it's our greatest victory because of who you are. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. amen. All right, see you next Wednesday.